Hello, and welcome to the 14th episode of Wildfire Matters, the podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who manage and protect our public lands, many dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, I am talking with Katie Wood, Program Manager for the National Wildfire Coordinating Group, or NWCG. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. Happy to be here. And normally, Jennifer, my co-host, would be here, but she couldn't make it today, so it's just Katie and I. But happy to have Katie here. At least I have someone to talk to. So to start out with, um, Katie and I go way back to, I remember working with her for a brief period of time at the Boise District BLM. But um, yeah, start off to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got started. Well, thanks. And thanks, Carrie. It's exciting to be here and appreciate the opportunity to come in and speak on this podcast. Um, I have a bit of a unique background um, when it pertains to wildland fire. I've sort of dabbled in and out of the profession. So actually right out of high school, I was hired um, on with BLM as a GS2 out of Shoshone, Idaho. And I served on the engines there for a couple of years and then transferred to Boise District, which is where we actually worked together. And I fought fire out of Boise District for a couple of years as well. And then at that point, I made the transition over to the Idaho State Office, and I worked in health and safety, specifically in workers' comp, and then also was instrumental in helping stand up the first emergency medical services program for Idaho BLM back when we were trying to formalize the medical program. And so that was a big step and then moved on and transferred to the Forest Service where I worked as a district ranger off the Salmon Chalice and also off of the Boise National Forest. And then in between that um, was an ops chief out of the Boise District where I oversaw various different programs, but specifically as it ties back to fire, emergency stabilization, and rehabilitation. So I actually got to see the other side of wildland fire after um, the fires roll through. And as managers, we try and go and rehab the land. I've always been somewhat involved in fire, as I mentioned, working with the firefighters with the emergency medical services program, also workers' comp, and then as a district ranger was an agency administrator. And then most recently landed at NWCG, which is where I currently am. And um, NWCG, for the folks that don't know, is a national wildfire coordinating group, and we create standards for the entire wildland fire community. So I've had a really unique um, background and career in wildland fire, and it's been fun to kind of bounce around and bring all of those skill sets to where I've landed today. Yeah, and all of that really plays into what you do now. So many things that go into policy and standard development, um, probably with your varied background, really helps. Absolutely. I want to point out that it's kind of funny that Katie started as a GS2, and we had Kelly Woods on last time, and she started as a GS1. So very rare you see this in fire, <laughs> but pretty pretty cool. Absolutely. Start at the bottom and <laughs> gain a lot way. of experience yeah. and gain our way up. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, so NWCG is this program with multiple agencies working together to set standards for wildland fire. Um, not only policy we follow in standards, but also training. Explain a little bit more about NWCG, like um, how it functions, I guess. Absolutely. It's a great question because NWCG is a bit of an anomaly when we think about the wildland fire context. So NWCG basically has 12 different members. Ten of them are primary members, and we've got two associate members. Primarily, we represent the entire wildland fire community from state, tribal, um, federal, you name it. Um, DOD recently became a member of ours in December of 2022. And so for all intensive purposes, 
we represent the entire wildland fire community. NWCG develops standards. So I sort of like to think about NWCG as a foundation of a house. We develop standards to create that interoperability on the fire line so that when we all show up in our yellow shirts, we can speak um, off the same sheet of music. Where NWCG is different is that we don't create policy for agencies. We only create the baseline standards, and then it's up to each agency or entity to actually adopt our standard as um, as policy when they move forward. So um, the reason that is is because we work on a consensus basis. And so when we create any sort of standard, we have to make sure that everyone agrees before we move forward with that. A fair amount of our work is done by committees. We have close to a thousand volunteers, or what we would say, collateral duty um, employees I'm that on work one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that work on our various different committees or subcommittees to help create these standards for the wildland fire community. One of the things that I just think is so beautiful about NWCG is that it's really a field-based organization. And when I say that, it's because of all these committees and subcommittees that. We're getting subject matter experts at all different levels um, of different agencies or different organizations coming together at that NWCG collaborative setting and trying to develop standards for whatever whatever issue might arise. That could be a standardization of a check-in form on, wild, on, on a wildland fire incident. It could be the PPE that we're wearing. Um, as you mentioned earlier, it also pertains to training. So NWCG does have a large body of group that develops um, training for the majority of the incident positions that that we all engage in. Um, I think there's about, give or take, um, over 125 positions that NWCG creates standards and qualifications for um, within the whole ICS context. And And the great thing about it, too, and beautiful thing, as you had mentioned, is that Everyone gets a voice. It's nationally um, from your local fire departments. Do we have rural representation as well? We do. The local fire departments up to the federal fire departments up to international um, associations. So absolutely, we have the International Association of um, of uh, Fire. The International Association of Fire Chiefs is is a member as well, and they kind of represent all those rural fire departments. And then we also have the National Association of State Foresters, which which represents the 50 states. Um, So we do cover the entire gamut, which is unique that we don't necessarily see in some of the other parent bodies like the Fire Management Board or um, the National Multi-Agency Coordinating Group as well. They don't necessarily represent that broad context like NWCT does. But you work with those groups. Absolutely. It seems like in that in that arena, partnership at all levels is critical. And so as as I mentioned earlier, NWCG sort of serves as that foundation. Um, I, I always use analogies of houses. Right. So the foundation of the house. So the walls actually don't stand up unless we have a solid foundation. And so a lot of things that, that agencies move forward with or NMAC moves forward with are based on standards that NWCG creates moving forward. A great example is complex incident management with the new positions coming forward. NWCG developed the position uh, the position task books and also um, the qualification criteria for complex incident management. And then it's up to NMAC to figure out how they're going to rotate those teams around. Um, but we needed to set those standards for the positions in order to move forward 
for NMAC to do to do their part of the, the puzzle when it comes to complex incident management, as an example. Um, one other thing I'd like to mention about NWCG is that we also create, we have a large publications unit as well. So for those that have taken a number of our courses, you remember those big red training books, um, but the IRPG is probably the most relevant example of a publication that NWCG produces um, that, that every firefighter. Incident response pocket guide. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All firefighters have them. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a little bit about NWCG and the role that we play. The key thing is that interoperability piece. Right. And then that comes out in the, we call it the Red Book or Standards of um, Fire and Aviation, Interagency Standards for Fire and Aviation Operations. So the Red Book is actually pertinent to federal agencies. So some standards, when an agency adopts an NWCG standards, it would be put in the Red Book. But a lot of our stuff is just on um, our website or via our publications, and then agencies can adopt them separately as policy. Uh, the main portion when we talk about training and qualifications, that's the 310-1, the PMS 310-1, where folks often go to when they're trying to figure out how do I become a public information officer. And it will, in that particular document, it outlines exactly what training is required and the steps one would need to actually become qualified in whatever position that they're looking for within within that realm. And from there, they can anybody could look up like the different qualifications for the incident command system, whether you want to be in logistics or planning or... Exactly. Command and general staff. Yep. Yes. And then... What you had mentioned earlier, um, the new idea of the complex incident management system or, um, is going to be kind of changing things a little bit. So we'll we'll see some new new development in those areas of positions for type one and type two, basically, right? Kind of combining those. Exactly. So um, we're sort of getting away of the typing of type one and type two, and we're, we're combining those to create a complex incident management team, and we're calling it com the complex incident management. So essentially um, this year in 2023, we're removing the pathways to actually become type two qualified. It's just you go from a type three to complex is essentially the, the process now. Um, we are leaving the pathway to a type one qualification, but that will eventually probably phase out as we continue to revise this entire system to accommodate for firefighter fatigue and making sure that all teams are being rotated and appropriately sized as we move forward with this transition. And this is a pretty big change. I mean, we haven't seen the significant of a change for quite a while. Um, can you explain a little bit why it's happening? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, this is probably one of the largest changes that we've seen within the wildland fire context, at least from what I've been told in my experience as well. Um, the reason behind it, at least from my perspective, I don't want to speak for everybody right. that's been involved. This this is a it's a really large um, movement towards complex incident management. But what we've been seeing is we're unable to sustain the team the teams that we currently have as it pertains to um, incident management teams. And so this is an effort to actually try and revamp team structures to make sure that we're able to meet the needs of, of these incidents, but also try and create a way that we're effectively um, 
feeding the pipeline for a better way of saying it so that we're not burning out one team more than another. So I'll just give you an example. It's not uncommon for, you know, let's say a type two team to go out seven times a year and then maybe a type one team to go out once. And so by by creating a compliance incentive management team, we're we're trying to figure out a way to even out the workload so that we're not fatiguing these teams out and also trying to get them experience because all of these fires from certain perspective um, where it's not uncommon for us to send a type one team to a type two fire or a type two team to a type one fire, depending on availability and resources. And so um, at the national level, they came up with this proposal and felt like this would be a great way to sort of streamline some things and also to um, balance out some of the workload across uh, various different geographical areas and amongst teams. Oh, yeah. If that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Because I remember um, coming up through the system, being on teams and being on a type two team. And there was a several years where we didn't even go out. Uh, I think it was like almost three, um, about three and a half years. Um, just how it ha- fell in the rotation. Um, because we have these rotations for each geographical area has rotations for the type two and type one team. So you're on, you're up for two weeks, off for two weeks and just how it fell. We just weren't getting called out. And then finally we went out and it was like, we almost forgot what we were doing. (laughs) It's been so long. It comes back quickly though. Yes. But on the flip side of that, um, it seems like there are a lot of teams that are just out all the time. And if you commit to a team, um, you're not available to do your own work because you're out all summer long. And it, like you said, could fe- fatigue people. Um, and so this is kind of a way to share and then manage, ma- manage that um, organization from, you know, uh, expanding and contracting basically because sometimes we get to a fire on it when I was with my type two team and it would all of a sudden blow up and now they're calling in a type one. And then, so you have to redo this whole organization, but it it sounds like the complex management type um, system will kind of help expand and contract that, not such a dramatic change between type two, type one. That's a really great point, Carrie, because that is a benefit of this as well as using the ICS system as it was intentionally designed to, to expand and contract as needed. And so recently NMAC came out with, direction on kind of that core structure and the thought processes after that that core group is developed then then teams when they roll out depending on the severity of the fire they can expand and contract as needed um, to your point and um, and another part of that one of the big challenges with complex incident management again this is an NWCG but we're hearing it a lot is that supervisors aren't really interested in having their employees go out on teams because if they go out six or seven times, they basically don't have an employee for quite some right. time. <laughs> and so if we can spread out those rotations, not only to gain experience across the board, um, but also it was more enticing for a supervisor to let somebody go out for two roles versus seven roles. Right. Well, and for people too. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's nice to go out and travel and see places, but we do have family and other things going on in our life's work to come back to. So, yes. yeah. And this is a great example of when we talk about NWCG and the relationship with our other parent bodies. So NWCG, like I said, created the standards for the positions, um, but then it's NMAC, um, 
the National Multi-Coordination Group that's responsible for figuring out the team rotation cycles. So when I talk about the foundation, it's we create kind of this baseline of how people become qualified for this, and then they take it and move forward to implement um, their side of, of the house when it comes to to the rollout or implementation of complex system management, just as an example to repeat a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of got ahead of myself there. Oh, no, it's <laughs> we great. We were talking. Um, um, but as program manager, what is your job specifically for NWCG? So um, my job, and kind of going back to the introduction, I work for an executive board, and the executive board uh, contains a member representation from all those different agencies that, that um, I mentioned at the beginning. And so I sort of, using the incident command system analogy, I I feel like they're the ICs and I'm their ops. So um, they provide, the executive board provides direction and leadership and vision towards what they want NWCG to actually move forward with. And then it's up to me as the program manager and then working with my staff to implement their vision. So um, for 2023, we've got three main priorities within NWCG that the board has outlined. Now, this does not include all of our work. As I mentioned earlier, we've got 70, 17 committees and 82 subcommittees that are all doing various different things related to standards within the wildland fire community. But our three priorities for 2023 from the executive board include complex incident management, like I just mentioned, um, what we're calling the incident performance and training modernization, which we can go into a little bit more, but essentially overhauling our training system as we know it and and then the third one is um, developing some tools to help the committees be successful in their roles because a lot of um, what they do, as I mentioned earlier, is collateral duty and making sure that they have the tools to be successful when developing standards in this interagency um, dynamic. Yeah, so uh, go back to the training then. Talk a little bit more about. Absolutely. So one of the, the huge uh, the big initiatives for us is the incident performance and training modernization. And what's happened in the past is NWCG, as as NWCG would develop training, and traditionally we would bring subject matter experts to Boise. They would sit in the basement at NIFSI, and they would develop a forty hour training, and we would we would push it out, and that was that. Um, and then as our, as our wildland fire world became more complex, every single year we're adding additional positions. A great example is resource advisors, um, but uh, we're adding additional safety positions, additional public information officer positions. So as we continue to expand the positions that we have, what we were doing is we were just creating more training. And if you can put the two and two together, we were outpacing the amount of training that we were developing and in a way to to actually keep up with it and to continue to make it um, relevant for today. Um, a great example is in the public information officer task book. Say. There doesn't even mention social media. Is right. the, the most Or the class. Or the class. <laughs> so this is what we're trying to revise. Um, given that model, what was happening is we would develop a training, but it was sort of these independent trainings. And so they weren't always linked together. So what you learned in one training might re be redundant in another training because it wasn't actually linked. And so taking a step back, we saw an opportunity with the bipartisan infrastructure law and were able to um, receive a fair amount of money to move forward and kind of overhaul the entire system. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an integrated performance-based training system where um, we create 
We have what we call um, incident position descriptions, which is basically the what of your job. So when we think about jobs, we have a position description. It's, it's the nuts and bolts of what you're expected to do with the job. In addition to each position, we're going to create standards. As I mentioned earlier, our role is to create standards, but as we think about standards or define standards in this context of training, it's how to do your job. I always like to tell a story when I was a, um, I be, I'm a planning section chief three, and uh, when I first when I first went out, I read the task book because that was the only thing I had to know what a planning section <laughs> chief three did, and I developed a kit only to show up on the fire and realize that it's all electronic and <laughs> right. I didn't need a kit anymore. So right now for the majority of the positions, all people have is the position task book, which really doesn't tell them what's expected of them and how to do their job. Right. And so the intent is that with each of these positions that we analyze, we'll be developing a standard of how to do the job and what's expected of you moving forward. Part of this initiative as well as then we'll create, we have a revised or a next-gen position task book. And in that position task book, we're trying to streamline things and develop, um, taking a look at what can actually be done on the fire line, OJT training, what actually needs to be evaluated on the position task book, and then what training we actually need to have in the classroom or anything online. So, um, again, we're trying to move as much as we can to the field training and uh, reduce any sort of redundancies that we that we have in the actual classroom setting to try and I don't want to say streamline, but to a certain sense, streamline and reduce redundancies so that folks are getting the training that they need without uh, repeating anything or having 20 hours or whatever that's that's um, unneeded. So there's basically those three items. It's the incident position description, the standards for each position, and then um, a revised task book and then associated classroom training as as needed. That'll be nice. Because hey. <laughs> Katie was talking about the we have um, S203, public information officer. And right. It's uh, every time we do the class, you actually add information about how to work with social media because it's not in the course still. Yes. And it does take a long time to actually revise all these classes because there's so many. And then with the position task books as well and all the material that goes with all that, um, there's only so many people, so much time. <laughs> so a lot of times you're, if you're um, instructing a while in fire course, you're looking at like the outline and objectives, but you also are adding a quite a bit of stuff um, that's relevant to it. Because uh, yes, <laughs> and and that's part of this too is we want to create a system that we can go in and update. So whatever the new thing is, we can go in and modify that training relatively quickly so that we can keep up with with our ever dynamic and complex world. Um, for folks out there listening to this podcast, a shameless plug, um, <laughs> Annie Benoit, who's my training program manager, and I did a nice fireside chat on the BLM with the BLM uh, this past fall. And there's a deep dive into this incident performance and training modernization that I'm talking about. If folks have um, an interest in digging a little deeper into that topic, it's a really great opportunity to see it outlined and some of the changes that we're making. Um, and eventually, uh, we're working on five positions right now currently, and we're about ready to roll out with a large contract this spring. Um, and we'll be asking for subject matter experts to help with this training revision um, as we move forward. So more to come on this topic. I think it's going to become 
um, ever growing and folks will see a lot more information as we continue to expand and, and move forward with this large contract. Yeah. And that's a great thing about NWCG as well as and the committees is it's an opportunity for people in the field to actually be involved with the decision making and planning from their experiences out in the field. And so highly encourage those of you in Wildland Fire, check out NWCG, the committees, the websites, um, what the missions are for each committee, find something you're interested in. And um, there's only one basically one agency rep on each committee, right? But you can have alternates and you can surely help with projects and they're always looking for subject matter experts for things um, to, and when you're developing materials and things. So Absolutely. Just really encourage folks, if they see something that's interesting, contact their agency rep and talk to them about it because it's amazing what different unique opportunities become available. And as you alluded to, it really is a unique organization where that field perspective gets a really strong voice that we oftentimes don't necessarily see in other aspects. So, But right now it's just delayed because <laughs> so this new training model, model you're talking about will be fantastic if we can update. Well, because we're in such a fast-paced world anyways, we can just update things a little quicker as things evolve. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, we're just rolling out. Um, so this year we're rolling out Crew Boss. So for folks um, that are in the field, they'll probably see Crew Boss, a new position task book with Crew Boss this summer. Um, medical unit leader, Faller 1, 2, 3, and RXB2. And then this this June we'll be kicking off a lot of um, those entry-level positions. Again, we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up the incident command system with the idea of reducing redundancy and training to the extent that we possibly can. I don't have all of the positions memorized that we're going to do um, starting what? off in June, <laughs> but I think, you know, status check-in, firefighter type one, PTRC, just as some examples. PTRC. Um, so. It's the, it's in finance, the personal time oh, recorder. For, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> we, we have all our acronyms in, we love our acronyms, but yes, there's all these acronyms for um, all the different positions too, but that's for our red, our red card qualification system as well. So it all matches up, but yeah, it's hard to remember everything. <laughs> it's pretty bad when I can't even remember them, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's just too many. There's a lot <laughs> there's for sure. Lot. Do you see going more towards um, virtual type training classes? I know there's a lot of stuff you need to do hands-on, but there's a lot of things that you can, can do kind of more online and virtually. Let's take Crew Boss as an example. There's a, a online component as, uh, let's just say, seven or eight hours, and then the rest of the training is in classroom, and we're really focusing on simulation-based to the extent possible that we can. So um, trying to get away from PowerPoint right. when possible, <laughs> when possible, and working on simulation-based. So when we have those opportunities and there's a in-person component, that's what we're trying to focus on. Um, but to your point earlier under your specific question, yes, we are trying to do online training. That can have its pros and cons. Right. The, the, the pro is it's easy to access and um, people can do it anywhere. The cons is it quickly can be outdated and maintaining that um, can be costly and whatnot. So again, looking at at where we can find a balance with both of those and figuring out what's in the best interest of the user. And again, working super closely with subject matter experts. So let's take Crew Boss. 
we worked with a bunch of crew bosses to develop the training in which we're moving forward with. And that's why that that diversity of expertise and having folks volunteer to help us is so critical so that we're creating training that's actually relevant to the end user. Yeah. And so much firefighting too is is really hands-on too. So you kind of need that need that hands-on type of experience as well. And then you you get so much from other people you are training with. It's kind of hard too when you're staring at a screen. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Fitting in your answers for all the <laughs> training that we have to do every year. Absolutely. For our regular yes. jobs. Yes. <laughs> we don't need any more online. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um so you talked about a little bit about this already, I guess. Um, how does uh, NWC operate and why is it important to have this group? So um, kind of, again, I just love NWCG. I just think it's such a unique um, model. I think well, and actually, oh, let's yeah. go back and um, maybe the history of it. So how, do you know how, how NWCG started? Yeah, NWCG started, I believe, in 1976, and I think it was a partnership between the BLM and the Forest Service, if I'm correctly. And it was sort of um, trying to figure out how do we work together? How do we create these interoperability standards? And that was sort of how it started, and then it's continued to grow. Um, that interagency concept. The like, interagency. Like NIFSI mm-hmm. yeah, continued with that. The beautiful thing about NWCG, again, is it's all based on relationships. Kind of back to why I think this organization is so important is that it's consensus-based. So we all have to agree before anything moves forward. So it's not this top-down. It's not one agency having um, higher say than the other. It's we all have to agree before it moves forward. And so the beauty of that is we put people and humans first because we have to to get to a solution, whatever that solution is. And um, I think that's really great in our context. Um, and I feel like that empowers us to be um, more inclusive and more diverse and the ability to um, get some things done that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do because we have to focus on the humans and the relationships first. But NWCG, back to the history of it, has continued to expand since then. Um, but it started originally for that interoperability piece. So switching gears a little bit, how has your experience helped you with the program management? It's a really good question. Um, Segwaying off my last answer about <laughs> that relationship piece. So throughout my various different um, careers, obviously having that wildland fire background has been really helpful. And I kind of chuckle. I went from being on the engines to an agency administrator. So on the lowest top of the food chain to actually kind of having teams report to me um, in that particular context. But all of that provided me sort of a broad understanding of how the wildland fire context works. And so bringing that forward to NWCG and also as a as a ranger, having to work with various different stakeholders to come to some sort of agreement um, is really critical when it comes to land management and then moving this forward as as NWCG, I'm using those exact same skill sets that you utilize, those partnerships that you develop along the way, um, the background information, and understanding that we have to compromise in order to move something forward or to get consensus um, is the skill sets that I use day in and day out at NWCG to move things forward. Um, and so that background has been instrumental in in 
I feel like being successful and moving some really critical things forward within within NWCG. So, Katie, let's let's go back to the committees because there are a lot of committees and uh, with various different topics they cover um, from the committee that I'm on, Communication, Education, Prevention um, Committee. And then we have two subcommittees, and, or three actually now, um, that work under us with uh, fire information, wildfire investigation, prevention. How does a committee work? Um, can you give us an example? Yeah. So um, committees mimic, in theory, the, the leadership at the executive board level. So when we take a when we take a committee or a subcommittee, the membership is going to mimic um, the executive board to the extent that it makes sense. So um, subcommittees report to a committee, and committees report to the executive board, and all levels of NWCG work on that same consensus base. So if a subcommittee develops a standard um, and there's disagreement on that level, it goes to the committee and then up the chain, um, and so on and so forth. Basically, committees are are groups of subject matter experts that come together to develop standards for whatever it is that they have um, an expertise in. So to give you an example, specifically, um, six minutes for safety. Six minutes for safety falls under, it's a subcommittee, and actually Jennifer Mislevy is the chair of six right? minutes for safety. <laughs> um, and they come together and they develop um, the, the outlines that we all read in the SIT report every day um, throughout the summer, actually throughout the year. And so the committees are made up of the expertise from all the different agencies that come together and help develop the criteria for that moving forward. And they actually fall under the risk management committee. And so their parent body is risk management committee. And so that's an example of one. Um, You also will see a big player in our world is um, incident positions and standards committee or we also call it as IPSC, and underneath them they've got a subcommittee that's command, a subcommittee that's logistics, a subcommittee that's operation, subcommittee that's PIO. So kind of that similar context. So if anything comes forward, um, somebody wants to create a new position, um, let's take the public information officer committee. Um, If recently they wanted to create a PIO3, So they worked as a committee, again, with representation from all those different agencies to develop a draft task book, to develop draft standards for that particular position, and then move that forward to actually receive qualification from the incident position and standards committee. That's just an example of how we'll see certain things move forward. It depends on the level um, of complexity, whether or not it goes to the executive board for a decision or not, but most likely if there's consensus at that committee or subcommittee level, things roll out to the field and um, are approved to move forward. And what's the process they have to go through? Um, You have to kind of set the the description, right, position description, and set standards for those new positions as well, right? They do. So we start with the incident position description, um, and then we actually work internally with our instructional systems designers to actually work closely with subject matter experts, and we we run it through this analysis tool um, that actually, on the other end, once we we do this long, elaborate analysis, it comes out to what what the standards should be, and then of those standards, what should go in a position taskbook or what should actually go into um, any sort of formalized training, and sometimes they'll overlap, but that's sort of the process, is we start with that original PD, and then we run it through this analysis 
and and um, come up with the standards and the associated training. And the standards are kind of like the skills and abilities needed to do that job at that level. Yeah, the standards are basically, yeah. I always, I think of it as how to do the job. Yeah. So the, the incident position descriptions are what and the standards are how, um, if that's easy to understand. Um, so in closing, Katie, is there anything else you'd like to mention that we may have missed? Uh, just again, appreciate you having us on the podcast. I know NWCG can be a bit of a confusing entity and I really encourage folks to check out our website. Um, there's a lot of information on there and I'll also reach out to us if you have any questions. We're happy to take those as well. We do have a little um, profile with social media and we send out MailChimps that actually uh, provide announcements. So if you're interested in standards changing and what's kind of the latest and greatest, please subscribe to that on our NWCG website. And then I just wanted to let folks know that in November of this year, in 2023, there will be a different website. So we're going through a website transition, specifically upgrading from uh, Drupal 7 to Drupal 9. And so if the face of our website looks different or you're having trouble finding something, please reach out. But you'll see that change um, after after this fire season. Okay. And also I'm going to plug the website as well, because there's, if you're interested in knowing about different positions, the 310-1 is on there, but um, you can look at the different positions, but they are also listed um, and categorized. And then looking at the, the committees too, all the different committees and products that are offered as well, like the Communication Education Prevention Committee. We have um, a nice digital library for prevention material that people can take from and use for um, posters or, um, you know, prevention tips, things like that that people can use in their prevention campaigns and always looking for people to, to send in that type of material that we can share across the board. So, Yeah, and NWCG really is um, a great place to get involved at that national level. So um, we have a few videos on sort of what we do and how to get involved um, right there on our main website. And we're creating a landing page for the training modernization that I mentioned earlier. So there should be a lot more coming out about this information, but we have a lot of information there and please feel free to reach out anytime if there's an interest and, and work with your agency reps. Again, um, as you mentioned, dig through those committees and, and find something that's of interest to you and, and see if they could use some help or some expertise on that. Yeah, and that just prompted me to remember something else um, to ask, because we get this question a lot, too, um, that if people, just general public or people that are working on products, if they have something that they think could be beneficial to the wildland fire community, how would they go about, like, a piece of equipment or, you know, I know we have equipment committees um, that work on standardization for equipment used um, but if they have products as well that they think that could be useful, where would they go? There is a committee that specifically um, reviews those product proposals every, I think we do that twice a year. Um, and that's the um, ETC. It's Equipment Technology. Equipment Technology. Yeah. Um, committee. And so encourage folks, there's a form that folks can fill out there um, and complete that information. And then twice a year, that committee goes through those proposals and reaches back out to the vendor or the individual that's designing whatever product to try and um, see if it would be a good fit and whether or not that should be assigned a different committee to develop associated standards accordingly. 
And if people have questions about other committees, there are contacts um, that um, email contacts on each committee for each member that people could get a hold of as well. Absolutely. Our website really is robust. There's a tremendous amount of information. Um, Some of it pertains to internal operating procedures, but a fair amount is it external and a lot of information about committee, committee representation. And on the bottom of the website, you will see all of our uh, member agency logos. And the interesting part is the logos are in order of when everybody became a member of NWCG. So if you look at If you look at the outline of the logos, it's a little bit different than what you'll see on the NIFTY website. And the reason is behind the history of who joined when. So if anyone has an interest in in how that came about, that's kind of a a neat way to look at it in a very simple fashion. Oh, just to close out, I like to kind of sometimes ask people what their favorite fire memory is or favorite memory working. Oh, I've got so many (laughs) great memories, you know, um, not to be cliche about it. I just what I think I I love the most is that in fire, you just develop the most um, amazing relationships. I think uh, when you spend time working in the trenches, per se, with each other, it's you develop these lifelong friendships that maybe not necessarily would manifest in other contexts. And so when I think about people I worked with, even you, Carrie, years and years ago, you can't help but smile and and remember all of the fun times that we shared out on the fire lines in the the desert, in the Bruno (laughs) Desert or whatnot. So um, I would say the the relationships that I've had the opportunities to to build along the way. And then also... um, it's provided a really unique opportunity to see a lot of the country that I probably wouldn't ever have had the chance to do because nature doesn't necessarily, um, we don't get to pick where we go when we go out on fires. Nature determines that. And so um, where we land is where we land and that creates its own unique opportunity once we're there. Thank you, Katie, for joining me today for the 14th episode of Wildfire Matters and taking the time out of your schedule because I know you're really busy. Everyone's busy this time of year getting ready for the big part of fire season coming up in summer months. I think it's really good to have like a little background on what NWCG does and hopefully that helps uh, what you covered today helps explain a little bit more about NWCG. I know I learned something, so I really appreciate you taking the time to tell our listeners and me about what you do. And for those of you that want to learn more about NIFC or the BLM, please visit our website at www.nifc.gov. Or if you have questions, comments, or topics or suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting the nifc.gov website and scroll down to contact us. Use Wildfire Matters in the subject line. And remember to follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you all for listening. Please join us next time when we spark a conversation with the National Medical Director, Dr. Drew Southard, and Operational Medical Support Program Manager, Tyler Cowan, to talk about emergency medical services available to our wildland fires and how employees can get involved in the program. Until then, stay stay safe and be wildfire aware. aware.